I'm Abigail Alpern Fish. And I'm Leo Wing. And we are your co hosts for the first season of Voices for Human Needs, a podcast that serves as a go to resource for both new and experienced activists working to reduce and end poverty in the United States. So far on the show, we have featured the voices of community leaders, federal policy advocates, and organizers from across the country who have spoken about timely topics of social and economic justice being debated in Washington, D.C. We have covered the fight to raise the federal minimum wage, combat child poverty by making the child tax credit for families with low incomes permanent, expanding paid leave and child care for all working families, and ending homelessness in all communities by calling upon lawmakers to make greater investments in housing and health care. As a young organizer myself, I am passionate about understanding how long-standing systems continue to perpetuate injustices and lack of opportunities for too many, and what can be done to improve our communities for the better. I invite you, our listeners, to join Leo and me as we hear from experts and activists who need our help in the fight for a more equitable and just society. No matter your age, zip code, or background, anyone can get involved, organize their friends and family, and take action on some of the most pressing anti-poverty policy and advocacy campaigns of our time. The ongoing infrastructure bill and budget reconciliation process presents many opportunities for advocates to call on Congress to vote for an agenda that allow America to truly build back better. And long overdue immigration reform is up there on the priority list. So today, let's dive in for an episode all about this once-in-a-generation window for Congress to finally secure a pathway to citizenships for millions of undocumented immigrants in the United States. This episode, we welcome to the podcast Leah Parada, the Director of Legislative Advocacy at the Immigration Hub. Leah will share with us how she built momentum with national activists while working with partners in Congress during this budget process. Additionally, we are joined by Diana Pliego, a policy associate at the National Immigration Law Center. Diana is a DACA recipient herself and will share with us how anyone, either with lived experience or not, can become a fierce ally and advocates for DREAMers and all undocumented members of our communities. With many students heading back to school this fall amidst the ongoing stresses of the COVID-19 pandemic, many students and their families are also burdened with additional anxieties and stresses associated with being undocumented. These additional challenges could include not having the proper documentation for certain opportunities, such as federal student aid, living with the fear of deportation, or dealing with anti-immigrant rhetoric often circulated in political discourse. Some programs and policies have been passed to ease the hurdles that many undocumented young people, otherwise known as DREAMers, face specifically in higher education. Beginning in June 2012, under then-President Barack Obama, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, program began. The program provides temporary relief from deportation for eligible undocumented young adults who are brought to the U.S. as children. In addition, DACA recipients can receive renewable two-year work permits to work legally for higher wages, access to in-state tuition in some states, and a social security number to complete a free application for federal student aid or FAFSA form, which allows a DACA recipient to apply for state and college financial aid. 
The DACA program provides evidence of the profound benefits that legal status has for supporting the educational and professional ambitions of millions of young and talented people. But at its core, DACA is still a temporary and limited relief from deportation and has faced numerous attacks since it began. The most recent challenge to the program happened in July 2021, when federal judge Andrew Hainan of U.S. District Court in Texas ruled DACA unlawful. While that decision allowed continued protection for immigrants currently under DACA, it blocks the Biden administration from accepting any new or first-time DACA application. Though President Biden said that the Department of Justice intends to appeal, the decision will have a tremendous impact on nearly 550,000 K-12 Dreamers who are currently barred from applying for DACA for the first time. With this recent unfavorable court ruling, advocates across the country have been getting all hands on deck to move Congress towards finally creating a stable and reliable pathway to citizenship for millions of undocumented immigrants. First, we will hear from one of our closest partner, Leah Parada from the Immigration Hub. My name is Leah Parada. I'm the Director of Legislative Advocacy at the Immigration Hub. The Immigration Hub is almost like a convening space of national immigrants' rights organizations, really with the goal of passing immigration reform, but you know, immigration law policies are complicated and are far-reaching. I have been working on immigration reform in Congress for nearly 15 years. And this is just a deeply personal issue for me. It's actually how I got involved in politics and policy. My parents came to the United States undocumented, fleeing the Civil War in El Salvador. I just remember how they became U.S. citizens and how that changed our lives. There's a big law passed in 1986 called the Immigration Reform and Control Act, and that made it so my parents went from being undocumented to getting on a pathway to citizenship. That made my life so much easier in many ways. I went to a state university, I had access to free lunch, and my parents essentially got to achieve the American dream. But that was not true for everyone in my family, and I quickly learned that that one-time policy solution was incomplete. And there's a lot of people who today have not had the opportunities my parents had, nor that I have had. So that brought me to working in Congress for immigration reform and then working in advocacy. Awesome. Thank you. And we're hoping that you could share with us a bit more about the work that you've been doing and who the relevant stakeholders are in that work. So what strategies you might use to build support among congressional representatives to securing a more complete pathway to citizenship, as you mentioned. And additionally, what barriers do you and other immigration policy advocates face? The key players in this space are our champions, the ones who are looking to find solutions and have been working on this their entire careers in Congress. And that's the new arrival of Senator Padilla from California, first Latino senator whose father was an immigrant. He has been a huge champion to us. Senator Durbin, who has long championed undocumented youth as part of his leadership of the DREAM Act. In the House of Representatives, we have the Congressional Hispanic Caucus that 
represents Latinos, many of which come from mixed status families. It includes undocumented immigrants. So they have long championed and been the voice in the House for immigration reform. And of course, can't do anything without Speaker Pelosi um, and Majority Leader Schumer, both of which have been you know, longstanding champions on these issues. And of course, the president. We have worked with them in many other iterations where we felt like we've been really close to achieving something. But honestly, what's different this time is that we are not sitting in a bipartisan negotiation. It took some convincing to get our champions to see that, you know, maybe we can do this differently this time. Maybe we don't have to wait for Republicans to come around and agree with us. Unfortunately, many of the Republicans who agreed with us on immigration policies are either no longer in Congress or have changed their positions given how extreme anti-immigrant policy became in the last four years. While national polling finds that there is bipartisan public support for creating pathway to citizenships, negotiation in Congress have long failed to materialize. But right now, with the federal budget going through the process of reconciliation, meaning that only a simple majority of 51 votes in the Senate rather than 60 is required to pass this budget. Therefore, Democratic lawmakers have been working to include a provision in the $3.5 trillion spending package to establish a pathway to legal citizenships for almost 8 million undocumented immigrants. We're looking at a whole new landscape trying to advance a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants through a you know, legislative tool that is held by the majority, which is reconciliation. Instead of going the traditional way of how a bill becomes a law, of getting 60 votes in the Senate and getting the votes in the House and getting it to the president, we are now on this twisting and turning journey to advance immigration reform through a process called reconciliation, which is an arcane, complicated process. But we think that it's a critical tool that offers an opportunity to finally get a pathway to citizenship for many undocumented immigrants who have waited, in many cases, over a decade. In order to be passed through the reconciliation bill, advocates and lawmakers are making the argument that creating a pathway to citizenship will indeed have a significant impact on the U.S. economy. A report by the Center for American Progress found that if Congress provides a pathway to citizenship for the nearly 11 million undocumented people in the U.S., the country's gross domestic product, or GDP, would boost by $1.7 trillion over the next 10 years and create nearly half a million new jobs. The provisions in the reconciliation package specifically aim to create a pathway to citizenships for the four groups. Dreamers, who were brought to the U.S. as children, farm workers, essential workers, and temporary protected status, or TPS holders, though who are unable to return to their countries of origin. Farm workers who have for a very long time, even in the midst of fires, putting food on our tables and are mostly undocumented. Those who have temporary protected status, who have been here on like a quasi-legal status for over 10 years, are one court case away from losing all protection. And other folks who have been undocumented for a long time and have been working in essential jobs throughout the pandemic. That's who we envision being those who would be eligible 
or a pathway to citizenship. There's a second side of the equation is once we get into the budget, we have to hammer out the details and getting the parliamentarian to agree with us. And that's, you know, a whole other can of worms, I'd say, because there are rules that accompany going through reconciliation. There has to be a budgetary impact. There clearly is one because of the taxes paid, the fees that will be part of this process. But then there's another test that's very gray and is really up to the parliamentarian, which is called this merely incidental test, which is, is a budgetary impact merely incidental to the policy you're trying to enact. So what's more important? What's the story here? Is legalization a budgetary impact or is it a massive policy change? And we'd argue that the budgetary impact of the taxes that will be generated by immigrants and their families for years to come is pretty substantial. So we would argue that it is not just merely incidental. And that's kind of the task ahead of us. On September 19th, the Senate parliamentarian ruled that the initial proposals by Democratic lawmakers to include the legalization of a pathway to citizenship for DREAMers, temporary protected status holders, and essential workers were not appropriate for inclusion in the reconciliation process. Immigration advocates across the country and in Washington, D.C. are not giving up, though, in response to the parliamentarian's ruling. Instead, advocates insist that this is still the beginning of the ongoing fight for immigration reform and will continue to work with members of Congress to explore every mechanism available to deliver a pathway to citizenship for millions of immigrants. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer responded to the Senate parliamentarian's decision, noting his, quote, deep disappointment. But he also reiterated his commitment to continue fighting for a pathway to lawful status for immigrants during the budget reconciliation process. Senate Democrats have prepared alternate proposals and will be holding additional meetings with the Senate parliamentarian before the budget is voted on. You will hear more about the We Are Home campaign and specific actions you can take later in this episode, but start by visiting wearehome.us slash takeaction to tell Congress and President Biden that they must use every tool available to fulfill their promises to immigrant communities. Next, we will hear from Diana Piego from the National Immigration Law Center, or NILC, whose organization mission is to protect and advance the rights of all immigrants, especially those with low incomes. Recently, a federal court in Texas ruled that the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, or DACA, was unlawful. And we're wondering, how do recent court decisions like this one impact the ongoing political debates that you're fighting and the fight for creating pathways to citizenship? Yeah, that's a good question. And thank you so much for for having me. I'm really glad to be on here with both of you. I think it's really important that we're talking about this, especially in these um, historic times. And as I mentioned, you know, I'm a DACA recipient. So that decision was definitely a huge blow. It was something we were waiting on for quite some time. And I'll be honest, we weren't expecting positive results, but I think what that decision highlights is that we need permanent protections. We need a permanent solution. I have been so grateful for DACA, but at the same time, we are all living in constant uncertainty. We're living in constant fear of what's next. And at the end of the day, it's not something that we can rely on securely. There's continuous backlogs and people submit their applications in time and they don't get them in time. It's so hard to know what to really expect because it's not permanent. And so I think that just shows us that we need to ensure that we give immigrants 
the protections that we have deserved for a long time, especially when we consider the fact that we are in a global pandemic and so many others as well, TPS holders and many other undocumented immigrants for which we're fighting for right now are essential workers. And we give high praise for the work that people are doing, but then we only offer them temporary protections and constant uncertainty. We need a permanent pathway. And I think that's what it ultimately highlights for us that we've long needed that. And if we have the opportunity to do that, we need to pass it now. So you've shared with us that you yourself are a DACA recipient, which makes the policy work that you're doing at the National Immigration Law Center even more personal. So I'm wondering if you have any suggestions or what would you want other DACA recipients or DREAMers to know about the work that advocates are doing to create a pathway to citizenship? You know, this question just brings me back to the time where I would follow the news very closely, but I had no idea that there was an entire world of immigration advocates who were fighting for me. This was obviously (laughs) pre-DACA. This was when I was in high school, and I just constantly watching the news for updates to see if they're going to pass immigration reform because I wanted to go to college and I wanted to have options for my future, for my career. And so what I would say to to those in the DACA program, and also specifically to those who were left out, we saw that happen. I can imagine that the folks are feeling particularly defeated, probably hopeless thinking, why should we keep fighting? Because every time we try, it doesn't work, right? What I would say to them is to know that there are so many people who are fighting for you, not just those from our own communities here giving it their all, we have so many people who maybe aren't directly impacted, but they are also giving it their all. I'm sitting here on this podcast with allies who are doing the good work every single day, right? The Coalition Human Needs does amazing work and does an incredible job of uplifting all of the asks that we support on immigration. And it's such a wonderful partner and important voice at the table when we're talking about immigration issues because it is a human rights issue, right? I encourage you to get involved if you haven't already. It's something that's incredibly empowering. It changed my life when I went to college and realized that I didn't have to just let this happen to me. I could do something about it. And it opened up so many doors and opportunities for me. And so I encourage everyone to just do that. Get plugged in with your community, with the organizations that are doing the great work on the ground and get involved and be a part of the victory. So you don't just see it on the news, but you hear it firsthand when it happens because you were a part of it. How has your organization been responding to some policies leaving out families or those who are undocumented? And how should advocates respond? I think this year really showed us how immigrants are still continuously left out of things, even when immigrants in in a lot of cases are part of the essential workforce that has kept the country afloat, not just during this pandemic, but long beforehand, and to the fact that we are all in this together and that if anyone is left out, then we're not going to recover as a whole, right? We are all so interconnected. We have to take care of every single one of us. And so I just encourage people to not be afraid to be bold and to ask, like, why are we excluding people? How can we be more inclusive? How can we take gradual steps toward that bold vision? I think when you said, like, how do we react? Why are we leaving people out? We are all part of this country and we deserve to all have that same relief. And and so how do we become that? How do we live up to the values that we say we have as a country and say we want to all recover? Like, how do we do that? It's by making sure everyone is included in all of these policies. We are home. Today, as we continue to march and organize and celebrate our victories, I am here. My life, fruitful. My community, a forest. We are home in uniforms for construction, 
for cleaning, for serving coffee. We are home in heels for teaching and dancing and speaking up for freedom even when it's hard. Home, even when they say we don't belong. As our nation recovers, we know that our roles are essential in the recovery. We have stood in the front lines. We are part of the healing of America. What you just heard is an excerpt from a poem and video created by undocumented artists Samantha Ramirez Herrera and Aline Mello. It is a part of a larger We Are Home campaign, a multiracial, multiethnic, and multigenerational coalition calling upon the Biden administration and Congress to take immediate actions on immigration reform. You can take part in actions of the We Are Home campaign, including joining events near you and calling your member of Congress at wearehome.us slash take action. It has to be all hands on deck, directly impacted people to the Hill, ads on TV, showing up for mobilization, days of actions, town halls, round tables, like all of the things. For us, it's, you know, We Are Home is dedicated to all of the above strategy to get this done. What are some things that you might be hopeful for going forward regarding policy to advance the rights and opportunities for immigrants with low incomes and their families specifically? It's always great to hear from activists and advocates who are really in the grind of this work and it's definitely emotionally taxing and can be a really long um, process, but what is guiding you forward and bringing you hope in this moment? I have not been at the Immigration Hub very long, but something, I've only been here four months, even though I've been working on immigration for a long time. But one of the things I did take on as soon as I started was a lobby day in Congress, a virtual lobby day, given uh, where we are in COVID land. We made sure to have directly impacted people in those meetings. And when we had directly impacted people speak to congressional staff, whether it be congressional staff or members of Congress, it really brought home the urgency of now, of why we can't wait. And I think, you know, to the extent that people are calling Congress, showing up to days of action, speaking up for their neighbors and friends, it just makes all the difference in the world and it cuts through the talking points that are designed to both dehumanize immigrants and also just make it one other issue that Congress, the Beltway, hasn't dealt with. So all the activists out there, you know, do your thing. It's really important that we speak up and we do this all together. And knowing that for anyone listening, if you are one of those people who is passionate about getting involved and fighting on behalf of whether it's yourself, your families, or your neighbors in your community, Leah just said your voice matters and we need to continue to build that people power. So thank you for the reminder for anyone who needed reminding. And also that there just isn't a lot of time. No one knows what next Congress will hold. So using this opportunity, the urgency of now to getting something done is really important. And lastly, we'll turn it back to Diana to hear what she is hopeful for in the near future in the fight for immigration reform. So I think so much has changed for us, especially after the past four years where we saw so many attacks on immigrant communities. A lot of really horrible things were brought to light at the border, things that have been happening from even before the last administration, that people will see that people deserve opportunity, that people deserve equal opportunity, and that the fear that I think is probably at the root of a lot of the xenophobia that we have in this country 
is slowly starting to crumble and that we can just see how we really are all in this together and that we'll slowly but surely be making the reforms that we need to give everybody the opportunities that we deserve. I guess I just want to say for anyone listening, just really grateful that you are listening and I hope that you take what you hear and that you turn it also to action and that you not be afraid to engage in these conversations with people who maybe you haven't before because that's how change continues to happen when we have the difficult conversations and we stand up for what is right. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Voices for Human Needs podcast. After listening to this episode, we hope you are all fired up because now is a critical moment for all of us to urge our representatives in Congress to create a pathway to citizenships for millions. Immigrants have kept our communities afloat during the pandemic and long before its start. We simply cannot leave essential members of our community to continue to live in limbo and without permanent protection. One final plug to join the We Are Home campaign and tell Congress to use every tool available to them to get a pathway to citizenship done at wearehome.us slash takeaction. You can learn more about our speakers and additional actions you can take in the fight for immigration reform at our Voices for Human Needs blog page at bit.ly slash Voices for Human Needs. Please subscribe to our show and follow us now wherever you get your podcasts, share with a friend or colleague, and stay tuned for our next episode. Please check out our show notes to learn more about our speakers and again, actions that you can take on our blog. Additionally, if you have any questions or comments regarding today's topic or suggestion for future episode, head to the link in our show notes and record a message to Abigail and me so that your voice can be included in the next Voices for Human Needs podcast. Finally, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can search for Coalition on Human Needs or simply Voice for Human Needs. That is voice number four, human need. I promise we'll be the first one that pops up. Thank you so much for listening and until next time.